seven others passed over the course of filming and one female reporter even died at the hands of an actor playing a nurse. Oh. <laughs> hey guys, how's it going? Welcome back to the Drip Podcast. I'm joined by Bailey, Lozzie, and oh god, uh, Maya. This time, sorry, I just dropped my pen. Um, yeah, Maya's rejoined us. It's been a couple of episodes, Maya. Where you been? Vanished. Just in the other room, really. Yeah, literally, just downstairs <laughs> while I've been recording them. But, um, but yeah, just welcome having back. Serious FOMO. That's it. That's it. So today we are looking at cursed movie sets. Now we're not going to be showing any footage, of course, in the YouTube version, and I'll tell you why, shall I? Because we're in 2020 uh, when I first started, like moving into this kind of area of content. Um, I was doing like reactions to ghost stuff, and I did a video called Two cursed movies and i showed a clip from a cursed movie called rosemary's baby and oh my god did warner brothers come for me so ah. we're not gonna be showing any clips but you can just you know have a little google or a little youtube later on but spoilers rosemary's baby is one of them all right but yeah so before we begin i do just want to say look you can support the show if you so choose and you can do so by going over to patreon.com forward slash duty rhino where you get lots of bonus content and there will be patreon exclusive podcasts coming to the patreon very soon so let's get yeah it's gonna be, i feel like we should do that like a little bit less informal so you know less about it'll, it'll still be about the paranormal at its core but you know we'll kind of let loose a little bit on there I, I think, you know, be a little bit more free because it's the Patreon exclusive one, yeah. you know? But yeah, so if that sounds like something that you're into, uh, you also get early access to all of the investigations and stuff and you get behind the scenes, um, then yeah, become a patron. That can cost as little as a pound or a dollar a month. And everything I do on there is open to every single tier. So if you pay a pound a month, you get everything that someone that pays more will. Okay, so I'm not pricing anyone out. Um, but yeah, if you want to support the show, go over there. Anyway, right. What I thought we'd start with, okay, is really... So we're doing, like, cursed movies, cursed movie sets, and obviously that's in the performing arts. So I thought we'd go back to one of the earliest curses in the performing arts, because this dates back to the 16th century. I didn't even know this was a thing as someone that has studied theatre and who, or who almost pursued musical theatre. And who, yeah, in in the industry, yeah, yeah, right. and and someone who's know, yeah, you, you wouldn't know, <laughs> but on. I do. I'm just a commoner. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you does, didn't you didn't do did yeah you didn't do GCSE drama, so um, you know my dream. <laughs> that's why I failed, you know, because I didn't know that. So you were saying it wrong. GCSE drama because I was saying it wrong. Yeah, you were saying theater. It's not theater. Yeah. Right? But the thing was, yeah, the thing the thing was, you know. Um, it was my dream at 15 years old to be Jean Valjean on the West End, you know? I see. Lame is rabble massive. But anyway, somehow this escaped my knowledge. Why do actors avoid the word Macbeth? Did you know that's a thing? I did know this was a thing. I feel like Bailey, that's not possible because you didn't study theatre. <laughs> well, well, I paid somewhat attention. 
Oh, okay. I didn't uh, pass because I didn't know theatre. Did you do drama at GCSE? I did do drama. No way! I did do drama. What did you get? What did you get? I think I got a B. Nice, man. I think I got a B. What did you get? I got an A star. That's the only oh. thing I've got an A star. Oh. Yeah, oh. Listen. Slight flick. Slight flick. He knows theatre. I, I know theatre. That's why. How many marks did you get for the correct pronunciation of yeah, well, the grade. difference between a B and an A star. That is, that is the ninety percent, ninety percent of the uh, the the GCSE. But I didn't know this. But Bailey did. There you go. Fair play. I've I sh- we heard should... of this, but I have no idea why. Like, I know that they don't like it, but I don't know why. So I'm about to tell you. Oof. Yeah. Um. So if you have now this. I, I don't like this opening. I don't like this opening line because I feel personally attacked. If you ever, if you've ever had a career in the arts or know someone who has, you are likely aware that saying the word Macbeth inside a theatre is strictly taboo, unless one is rehearsing or in the midst of performing Shakespeare's dark tragedy. So I feel personally attacked because I didn't know. Uh, doing so is almost universally believed to bring out, uh, bring about bad luck or even disaster to avoid the portentous. Portentous. Was that pretentious? Pretentious. P O R T E N T O U S. Portentous. There's no I. Sure, it's portentous. Portentous. Google Translate. Let's get the pronunciation. <laughs> to avoid the curse, actors refer to the play by a variety of euphemisms, such as the Bard's play or the Scottish play. Right, so why is it cursed? So according to folklore, the play's history of bad luck began with its first performance circa 1606, when the actor scheduled to portray Lady Macbeth died suddenly and Shakespeare was forced to replace him. In another 17th century production held in Amsterdam, the actor playing King Duncan was allegedly killed in front of a live audience when a real dagger was used in place of a stage prop during the stabbing scene. Likewise, actor Harold Norman, who normally, uh, sorry, who reportedly did not believe in superstition, died after his stage battle became a little too realistic while playing Macbeth in 1947. Productions of the play have also been the centre of raucous audience riots, including one in 1721 at Lincoln's Infields Theatre and another in 1772 at Covent Garden. In 1849, a long-standing rivalry between fans of British actor William Charles McCready and American Edwin Forrest, what side of the rivalry are you guys on, Um, turned violent during a production at New York's Astor Place Opera House, leaving 22 dead and more than 100 injured. That is gnarly. Some believe Shakespeare brought the curse upon his own play by using authentic spells in the Three Witches dialogue, while others believe that a production that has been staged for more than 400 years is bound to have its fair share of accidents. Either way, most thespians don't want to take any chances. So what's the antidote for accidentally uttering the forbidden word? Simple. Exit the theatre, spin around three times, spit over your left shoulder, and either recite a line from Shakespeare or unleash a profanity. Christ alive. So there you go. I was really captured by that until that last sentence. <laughs> spit on your shoulder. So How do you spit over your shoulder? <laughs> you just got to whip your head back. Yeah. 
So hang on. So is it is it is it just? I don't want to be a dick here. <laughs> is it just if you're performing, or is it if you're in the theatre? Because obviously we're going to see the Woman in Black in <laughs> January. I would fucking love to just just before they start, just see how like hardcore they are. Just go Macbeth. <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine like proper theatre goes that would be like, ooh, 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 boo. ooh. like yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't even say theatre. <laughs> and you're just watching it halfway through, and like the whole set just crashes down. Yeah, yeah. everyone dies like, apart from me. Like the whole roof falls down <laughs> apart from around me, and I'm like, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> And then Jeez. they just trace it back to this podcast where I admit that I'm going to do it. <laughs> but yeah. And then you on CCTV just going, Macbeth! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With a fucking woman in black behind me in the rows. Like, <laughs> fuck. But yeah, Jeez. I had no idea this was a thing, but there you go, it is. I had no idea it's any crazy. of them were things. Like, I didn't I... know it was <clears throat> that much of a thing. See, all I knew is that it was... It was taboo to say it. I didn't know the reasons behind it or what you had to do if it was said, but I did know it was a, a thing, a slight thing. But it's yeah, a I don't big know how thing. serious it's taken. But... Yeah, in it, like, if someone does accidentally say it, do you think the whole stage production are like, fucking go outside, spin around three times, spit over your left shoulder, and recite some Shakespeare? And all outside, do it again. But yeah, so that say is the Macbeth it. curse which is pretty cool. I literally didn't know that until I was researching for this very episode of the pod. So there we go. But I also just want to quickly add, like, so when was it? 1849, there was a long standing rivalry between fans yeah. of British actor William Charles McCready and American Edwin Forrest, right? How are they so hardcore for these two theatre actors? that 22 people died and 100 were injured when they rioted for them, basically. Theatre hooligans. That's insane. Like, that's, like, worse than... That's, like, worse than football hooliganism right there. Yeah. Yeah. That you know, imagine... 22 people dying at a Millwall game. Like, that's insane. Just yeah, imagine... That's that's 20, right. 21 ago, so... Well... <laughs> these these theatre kids can teach the Millwall fans something honestly it's pretty nuts it is pretty nuts but yeah so that's the Macbeth um, curse and that's obviously superseding movies by quite a lot right okay let's have a look at Game Rant because uh, they've got five allegedly cursed horror movie sets they've got two on here that I have covered in that in that video that I did all those years ago uh, the two videos were The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby um, and they are two of the five. So we're going to go through these. We're going to discuss the movies if we've seen them. And uh, in the comments down below, if you guys could put any movie sets that you know of, we'll get a part two going. Okay. So Rosemary's Baby, what happened? Now, these are rather short little synopsises, so I'm sure there is a lot more detail. Um, but we've got a couple to, to cover today. So uh, we're going to crack on. So based on the hit... Uh, Ira Levin novel of the same name, Rosemary's Baby, in Roman Polanski's Oscar-nominated horror about a young pregnant wife named Rosemary, Mia Farrow, who believes her elderly neighbours are part of a cult that want 
to sacrifice her baby. Famous for influencing the satanic subgenre, Rosemary's Baby leaves another legacy as one of the most cursed movie sets in history. Have you, do you have you guys seen this movie? I've you heard must, of it. Seen you it. must have seen the I've scene. Heard, yeah. Look at I've his eyes. What have you done to his eyes? You must have seen that. Basically, this cult are trying to turn her baby into, I believe, into um, the spawn of Satan, I think, which is why it's like, look at his eyes. What have you done to his eyes? Because they're now like this, the eyes of Lucifer. So the first to be hit by the curse was the movie's composer, Christoph Kameda, who was at a party when his friend accidentally pushed him over escarpment. I have no idea what that is, so I'm just going to imagine in my head he got pushed over a balcony. That's what I was thinking, so... Yeah. Kameda suffered brain damage from the fall and fell into a four-month coma from which he never recovered, echoing the death of Rosemary's friend in the movie, Hutch. So, similarities between how they died. La life, life imitates art also known as LART, as I was about to say accidentally. Producer William <laughs> Castle was next to be hit when he was hospitalised with severe kidney stones and hallucinated scenes from the movie, yelling, Rosemary, for God's sake, drop the knife! But the worst affected by the curse was the director himself, whose wife, Sharon Tate, was brutally murdered by the Manson family whilst pregnant with their baby in 1969. Rumour has it that Tate appears as a background character in the movie and became obsessed with the occult during its production. So I'm pretty sure, uh, forgive me, like I should know this because I've done so much true crime content, but because I've done so much true crime content, things get mixed up in my brain. But Charles Manson had a massive satanic influence, didn't he? Or am I making that up? I think so. He was I mean very... It makes sense. Yeah, I think they had a lot of, um, like devil worshipy stuff within the cult. Yeah, I think. So it's kind of like, you know, a bit weird that Rosemary's yeah. baby, pregnant woman sacrificing the baby to a cult, and then Roman Polanski, alleged paedophile, um, his wife, pregnant wife gets murdered by by the uh, Manson family very I mean that is fucking tragic um, but yeah very very horrible but yeah so that's the curse of Rosemary's Baby and that's essentially the TLDR of these curses that I found you know right. is people dying around the set in mysterious yeah. circumstances some of them though some of them are just mental right now, I haven't found the article, but I'm just going to go off the top of my head because I was researching this the other day. So, you know John Wayne? Yes. Famous yes. Western actor, John Wayne. Well, definitely wouldn't be able to do it now, uh, but he played the role of Genghis Khan in a movie in 1958, something like 57, 58. Can't remember the name of the movie. But anyway, they filmed it in, I believe it was the Nevada desert. It was in a desert where they, they did nuclear testing, right? nuclear warheads and shit, right? So it was a bit radioactive. But they kind of ignored that. And loads of the um, production staff and John Wayne himself ended up dying of cancer. Now, of course, being exposed to radioactive molecules does that. Do you know what the craziest thing was? 
a them ignoring the safety concerns of of filming so close to a nuclear testing facility but also they needed to do reshoots they needed to do reshoots and they wanted to make sure that it looked the same but they couldn't use the same location so they had a company go out to that desert dig up a load of the radioactive sand and bring that sand over to LA so they could film the reshoots. Oh I don't know so much right. as cursed movie set, but right, dumb. Uh, <laughs> who, who fucking pushes that across your desk <laughs> and reads it and thinks, spot on, that'll do it. That'll bring the lighting in. <laughs> fucking you know mad, I mean? isn't it? They need the fucking sand that was there originally. <laughs> Get more sand. Yeah. Yeah, this the scene was good. Needs more nuclear waste. Yeah. Doesn't matter that American sweetheart actor John Wayne is playing a fucking Mongolian. But as long as the sand looks the same... <laughs> That's fine. That's it. But apparently the movie was, like, universally panned. It was shite. Um, and fucking loads of people got cancer from it, which is fucking tragic. Well, Not that it would have made any difference if it was, like, the greatest movie ever made, because no one should die for fucking for their art but yeah it's crazy surely they got in like a lot of trouble for bringing radioactive sand into la i think it was la they uh, were they they brought it to wherever before, they were but before the health and safety of work act i think the, the th yeah <laughs> but i think the thing is uh, with a lot of these movies like there's one that i'll tell you about later on called the twilight zone which is fucking gnarly I've helicopter fucking shit right a lot of laws were brought in because of this sort of shit yeah like did you know i'm sure i'm sure i'm sure it was wizard of oz i'm sure it's the wizard of oz it is there's a snow scene yes yeah that yeah. is shavings of asbestos yeah. that they're just <laughs> blowing over them fuck me yeah 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 there's um something else about the wizard of oz uh, original movie did you know that there's a dead body in one of the scenes oh hanging in the background i don't know if that's yeah. been debunked i think i think that's an urban legend i think that's been debunked. nah it's real i remember i remember uh what was the fucking website what was the website something world it was like a one of them websites where all the fucking fucked up shit was back in the day and that was on there like there's like all creepy music and it showed like the the like a zoom in of the person hanging in the background and stuff Ah, uh, what was it called? Something world. I want to say Herbs World, but that's wrong. But yeah, fucking gnarly website, mate. That was that was used to creep the shit out of me, man. Yeah. I used to go around. That was where like Salad Fingers was originally like dropped and shit. Oh right. It was oh, like yes. I used to go around my cousin that's Jack's. Lozzy, obviously you know my cousin Jack, and he'd always be on that website, and I'd be around there to sleep, and I'd want to go home because I'd get really scared. Because <laughs> he's huge, showing me this website. So I didn't have the internet at home. How mad is that to think? I didn't have the internet. I didn't have the internet at my house till I was like 13, I think. Yeah, it's probably about the same for me, to be fair. Yeah. I can't tell you. I obviously couldn't remember when I got internet at home. Yeah. I used to have the, I had the internet at my dad's first. So whenever I, so I used to go on MSN at the weekends. Nice. And then just have nice. no, nothing during well, the week. I think I must have been in like year seven six i think when we got internet yeah so i was like year 10 mate i was fucking year, yeah, year, year 10 year nine year 10 yeah um right anyways apologies well it wasn't really a tangent because we were telling you all about asbestos snow um right next up the exorcist 1973 amazing movie apparently sport no it's not a spoiler at all i'm gutted 
apparently the exorcist believer is a pile of shit i will oh, watch really? it yeah those trailers looked immense yeah and apparently it is a pile of shit the new one um anyway lovely the original though oof, picked up for 50p in a charity shop the other day nice um, right, from director William Freakin and writer William Peter Blatty. The Exorcist follows 12-year-old Regan, who becomes possessed by a demonic entity after using a Ouija board. Can't relate. Ouija boards just piss me off. Her mother, Chris, notices her strange behaviour and calls in two priests to perform an exorcism. One of the scariest and most profitable horror movies of all time. It was the first horror movie ever nominated for Best Picture Oscar. The Exorcist was bound to have a cursed history. So what was going on then? The first sign of trouble came in 1972 when the set for Regan's family home burned down after a bird flew into the circuit box. <laughs> Jesus. That's a baby, that ain't funny. That's tragic. It's a little bit... Is no, yeah, no, it's tragic. But still, it's just a little bit. Of, like the bird, isn't it? Like, isn't isn't it like a, meant to be a sign of like demons and shit? If like birds start yeah. hitting your window, yeah. But if they start hitting your fucking circuit box, you're in trouble. Isn't it specifically crows, or am I making that up? Could be. Yeah. Because you know, pigeons are just a bit stupid. Like they do that shit all the time. Fucking hell! I weren't expecting all this. No, you get home and pigeons. They're well clever. Oh yeah, the home and pigeons, but just standard like just ones standard. bread and shit out in your like your local shopping centre and that. <laughs> Waiting for you to drop a donut. Tell you what, pigeons fucking love abandoned buildings. Holy shit! Yeah. Oh yeah. They're everywhere. Anyway, the disaster set production back massively and unsettled the crew, as the only room that survived the fire was the bedroom used for the exorcism scenes. That's pretty dark. During production, both Blair and Burstyn complained of back problems. And although that isn't too unusual, the passing of their co-star Jack McGowan and Vasiliki Maleros post-production is. I'm just going to interject here because I say during production, both Blair and Burstyn complained of back problems. I've watched a documentary on the making of The Exorcist and uh, Linda Blair, who played Regan, you know, there's that scene where she's on the bed and it's like the bed's all jumping about and she's like, mother, help me, mother. Apparently, like that scene basically broke her back like slipped discs in her back and shit yeah, no, I've and she it. had I've she she's that. had surgeries and all sorts back problems for until basically today so although you could she... say yes yeah, part of the curse blah 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 like it's it's they've kind of glossed over this because they've complained of back problems like it's fucking yeah. she basically snapped her fucking <laughs> spine filming a scene both of their characters die in the movie oh i see the two co-stars um both Me, of their I've, I've just looked into the co-stars um that died post-production yeah they died within like a week of each other and a year before the movie was released really fun fact because i was like oh did they die 10 years later yeah yeah, yeah. they literally died within a month of each other before the movie was even fully edited and released well that isn't all so both of their characters die in the movie and they aren't the only actors who died before its release seven others passed over the course of filming and one female reporter even died at the hands of an actor playing a nurse what? What? why does why is it's that where the sentence ends we need more information on that why is that where the paragraph just stops that's it what so there was a murder hang on so so uh exorcist 
nurse. Wait, died at the hands of? Like, did she kill think... her or was it, did she die in her arms? So, the hands of would be like. She killed nah, look. So, so Paul Bateson, appearance in The Exorcist, uh, second degree murder. Fuck it out. Second degree. So, so... There's a real life murderer hiding in the scenes of The Exorcist. What? Yeah, hang on. So me... 10 people died. Yeah. Before this film was even released. Yep. That's insane. Yep. That is fucking mental. Um, and there was one murderer on the cast as well. Cherry on top, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, so this is him here. So, uh, obviously, the audio listeners, hey, how's it going? You're not going to be able to see this, so I apologise. Listen, I'm, basically, it's in the birthing scene, and that is the that is the nurse that kills someone in real life. That is shocking. What, the guy? Yeah. The guy in the image, that is the actor who killed... Oh, no, apparently, he was an actual medical... He was an, he was an operating radiographer, and they were offered opportunities to play themselves in a scene. Oh no! It's it's where Regan uh, undergoes uh, an angiography. Angiography. Though it's a small part within a relative. Cast member. Yeah, though it's a small part within a relatively short amount of screen time. Bateson has a few lines of dialogue and features prominently, doing his best to comfort a nervous Regan with the bedside manner of any compassionate medical professional. He's yeah. got that look. <laughs> now this was four years after but four years after the exorcist was released paul bateson still living in new york due to his increased alcoholism had lost his job at university hospital frequenting manhattan's club scene he befriended addison verrill a reporter for variety who was found dead in his apartment on september 14th 1977 fucking hell Jesus. there we go there was a murderer on the set 10 and other 10 dead. other people that died yep right next what up the Omen, 1976. An Oscar-nominated horror, Richard Donner's The Omen follows American diplomat Robert Thorne, who decides to adopt the orphan Damien and after his wife Catherine delivers a stillborn child. Damien grows older and people start dying around him. Robert investigates the boy's past and fears he may be the Antichrist. The cast and crew of The Omen had many near-death experiences during the making of the movie. A no. stuntman was viciously attacked by a Rottweiler on three separate occasions. The Plains of Peck producer Mace Newfield and screenwriter David Seltzer were struck by lightning, so both of them were. Producer Harry Bernhard was on location in Rome when he himself was almost struck by lightning. Fucking hell. And Peck narrowly escaped a flight that ended up killing all on board. And that's not even the worst of it. Special effects designer John Richardson was working on another movie when he and his wife Liz Moore got into a head-on collision. Richardson survived the crash, but Moore was decapitated by a flying tyre and left with injuries not unlike the ones Richardson had prepared for the Omen actor, David Warner. Even stranger, Richardson recalls a sign at the scene of the accident stating the town of Omen was 66.6 kilometres away. That is That's fucked. Oh, mate, what do you get for coincidences like that? But, uh, but, but the thing is, oh no, I guess it was a sign. It was a sign. Sorry, I was good. I was thinking, and also this was in the fucking eighties, seventies. I was thinking, hang on a minute, your you girlfriend's just died or, or or whatever, your wife has just been decapitated, and you're getting out Google Maps to see how far a town <laughs> called Omen is. But obviously, there's literally a road sign next to it saying sixty six point six miles. Yeah, that's, that's fucked. Really weird. I do, the what the like weird thing that I'm noticing across all of them is 
the mirrored deaths between what happens in the yeah. movies compared to yes. them dying in real life that's actually like nuts yeah so basically if if life does Im- no, yeah if life does imitate art i might be getting sucked into an interdimensional portal sometime soon <laughs> but, you that ain't good that ain't good poltergeist 1982 directed by tobe hooper Poltergeist follows an ordinary family living in California whose house is plagued by demonic ghosts, the Freelings, made up of Steve, Diane, Dana, Robbie, and Carol Ann, initially turn a blind eye to the supernatural goings-on, but when young Carol Ann goes missing, they turn to a parapsychologist for help. In addition to three Oscar nominations, Poltergeist received a bucket load of blame for the tragedies that followed its making. The first cast member to pass away was Dunn, who was murdered by her ex-boyfriend a few months after the movie's release. Then in 1985, actor Julian Beck died of stomach cancer. And in 1987, actor Will Sampson died of post-operative kidney failure. But the most famous victim of the curse was O'Rourke, Carol Ann herself, who passed away in 1988, just before Poltergeist 3 finished filming, from congenital stenosis. I believe, and I'm going to double-check this, but I believe Carol Ann is that little girl there. It would make sense. Yeah. So the little girl, although she was in the next two movies, or I think she's in the second one, she's definitely in the third one. Uh, During a deposition, special effects makeup artist Craig Reardon testified that real skeletons were used in the movie, which many believe caused the death curse. So there we go. Using real skeletons. I think there's a a scene where they're in water and a skeleton floats to the top or something, and apparently they were real skeletons that, that they got from a local university or something. Which is nuts. Now, there was a reason why I chose this article. Scroll down. Because it wouldn't be a drip podcast without the conjuring, baby! (laughs) Yes! We go full circle every I've just scared the shit out of everyone listening to this podcast. There's a jump scare for you. The nun. It's the conjuring. First movie in the highest grossing horror franchise of all time, James Wan's The Conjuring, stars Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. As real-life paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren on a mission here to help the Perrin family. After Carolyn and Roger move into a secluded farmhouse with their five daughters, the family are haunted by an evil entity, and when this entity latches itself onto one of them, they find themselves in serious trouble. As the Conjuring being based on a true story isn't scary enough, reports from cast members are chilling. Joey King, who plays Christine, was covered in bruises after a couple of weeks of shooting, despite not performing any stunts. Farmiga would frequently wake up between the devil's hour of 3 and 4 a.m. on set and found claw marks on her thigh and laptop. (laughs) On her thigh. Oh, Bailey is... Right, for the audio listeners, Bailey's... He's done it again. He does it every time. I don't know why. Okay, no worries. Give me two we'll... seconds. Just All carry right. on. Yeah. There we go. So basically, <laughs> I love that it's like, right, listen, everyone, my thigh has been scratched. Now that is like, whoa. And my laptop. Whoa. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. I must admit, I've just got a new laptop, and if that got yeah. scratched, I'd be fucking livid. I was going to say, your priority would be the other way around at the minute. <laughs> yeah. You'd be like, Gosh, it's literally slashed my femoral artery. I got about fucking about eleven seconds left, and I'm like, the laptop. <laughs> Pay off the, the finance. He's <laughs> just pissing blood on it as well. Oh no! Move it away. 
Oh dear. Yeah. It's only covered water damage, not fucking blood damage, livid. <laughs> Clogs it up because blood's thicker than water. Fuck. Oh, <laughs> <business>. <laughs> um, so yeah, so she's livid about her laptop. Um, and several people, including producer Rob Cowan, Cohen, uh, saw items move in the Warren's artifact room. But the strangest thing to happen on set involves one of the original Perrin girls who told screenwriter Chad Hayes. I look like a bit of a Chad right now. In my fucking, in my uh, almighty ducks. Let's go. Podcast at nine, hockey game at 11. Let's go. Something really bad is going to happen out here today. Imagine that, man. Just filming one of the original girls who were there to like. I don't know, I guess, um, what do you call it? They're like giving like, oh, this happened here. This is what this felt like, you know, giving their insight. And uh, <laughs> she just turns up. Something really bad is going to happen here today. It's like, who the fuck invited her? <laughs> I've just, my hip, my, my thigh's gone. My laptop is broken. And then you're dropping shit like that, man. Come on. Sure enough, later that day, the girl's elderly mother fell and broke her hip so seriously that she required an operation spooky stuff going on on the set of the conjuring spooky spooky mcspooks out here but like i say it wouldn't be wouldn't be a drip pod without it would it really <laughs> that's it your stop right let's like say if we miss any uh curse sets today guys let us know down below we'll do some more curse movies that'll be fun we're gonna jump into the twilight zone now and this did cause laws to be changed okay i've heard i have heard about this one yeah this is pretty this is pretty gnarly so yeah i will just say this out loud um for anyone listening i probably should have said this at the start of the pod to be honest uh, warning this article contains material about the death of children okay you have been warned right so I'm just going to dip in. So here's what happened, and it's awful. Okay? It's literally what the article says. Time Out is a story about a man who is spouting awful slurs against Jewish, black, and Asian people. As a result, he finds himself facing situations where he is thought to be a black man in rural Alabama in the 1950s facing the Ku Klux Klan, a Jewish man in Nazi-occupied France, and a Vietnamese man fleeing American soldiers during the Vietnam War. It's also Landis's segment of the film where the tragedy happened. The scene in question was part of the Vietnamese sequence. Star Vic Morrow, combat, and child actors Rennie Shin Yi Chen and Micah Din Lee were tragically killed by a helicopter. Morrow's character was supposed to be rescuing a pair of Vietnamese children during an air raid. The person flying the helicopter was Dorsey Wingo who was a Vietnam veteran, now also a veteran of the film world. During the shoot, there was a pyrotechnics going off to simulate explosions. One of the fireballs hit the helicopter and sent it down into the river where the actors were. What's coming next is a description of what happened, and it's very disturbing, okay? So, yeah, if you want to fast forward, I don't blame you. The accident that changed film safety. So six-year-old Renee 
was crushed by the right skid of the helicopter. It then fell over and the blade killed Morrow and seven-year-old Micah. The children had been hired illegally and were not working according to child labour laws. The studio claimed that this was an accident. The suit did go to trial in Los Angeles in 1985 where Landis and the other defendants were acquitted of charges. His career went on. Laws began to change after that incident. According to an article on Slate, John Sylvia, Warner Bros. Vice President, at the time got a committee together to work on creating standards of safety for things like this with filmmaking unions and guilds creating safety bulletins that have been going on for a while as we know however accidents still happen on set from a stuntman being killed in a crash on the set of airwolf to brandon lee's death on the crow to the recent death of cinematographer helena sorry hutchins on the set of rust this was a terrible tragedy calling it a curse seems to cheapen the deaths of these three people when the accidents could have been prevented. It's pretty dark. Um, it goes on to say, why do we jump straight to curses? I spoke to Dr. Travis Langley, a psychologist, professor, and the author of Batman Psychology, A Dark and Stormy Night, as well as the editor of Psych Geeks series about why we jump straight to curses for this sort of thing. One horrible accident is not enough for a pattern to call it a curse, he said. It resulted from reckless decisions and human errors during production. Even if curses existed, that this is that is not one. Sorry. Live ammo got used on that set. Choices were made that should not have been made. Children should not have been on that set at all. During such a dangerous stunt, spectacular tragedy does not require a spectacular explanation, and yet we feel like it should. People want cause to transcend effect. Our brains are ready to spot patterns for many important reasons, but that ready state also prepares us to perceive patterns where they do not exist. So we sometimes see curses and conspiracies where none exist, and once we're looking for them, our need for belief confirmation makes us more ready to fit new information into those patterns and less likely to accept contradictions. Very interesting. But yeah, that was absolutely awful what happened there. Um, obviously a combination of... Yeah, apparently they... they did some like try to use some loopholes to circumvent um them children because i think it was a night shoot and children aren't allowed to act at night or something and yeah so they shouldn't have been there and then obviously combination of the pyrotechnics hitting the helicopter which led to um the death of those three people and two children absolutely awful so and then absolutely no repercussions for the people involved no but that's fine yeah which is which is absolutely horrendous absolutely yeah. horrendous i um, don't I, I wouldn't attribute that one to a curse like i completely i really liked that last paragraph that you just read i thought that was really yeah. clever but it, you know it's a it's a one-off incident due to negligence complete neg negligence by people getting children involved where they yeah. didn't need to be and live yeah. ammunition where it didn't need to be yeah the thing is, I, 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 I included it because yeah. if you just Google cursed movie sets, Twilight Zone always comes up. Yeah. But it said at, at the very start of that article, it said something about Macbeth. What, yeah. What was that about? Was, so, is there some relation to that and that set? So it said, set? Uh, everyone has heard of movie curses before. Bad things happen on set and boom, everyone calls it a curse. It happens on stage as well. There is a reason people don't say Macbeth right. in a theatre. One of the most right. famous movie curses is the one attached to the Twilight Zone movie. Were so, there any other deaths that were linked to that movie? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. It's just those three. Yeah. Um, right. So we've got one more. And this isn't really a curse as such. Um, there's just one segment of it that I really like. And I think everyone's going to really like. But this is Jurassic Park. So basically there was a hurricane that hit the island that they were filming on. On the island of Kauai. K-A-U-A-I. Hurricane Iniki hit the Hawaiian island of Kauai on September 11th, 1992. 
whilst filming was still taking place on a Steven on the Steven Spielberg film. At the time, only about half the movie had been filmed. Okay, sorry, they were halfway through, and the crew hadn't been made aware of the oncoming storm until the night before it hit the island. Right, the natural disaster caused, devast caused devastation across the island as a result of torrential rain and gale force winds up to 145 miles an hour. But thanks Jesus. to quick thinking on the part of the cast and crew, they managed to keep safe. Here's how it happened. Speaking about the event in a Netflix documentary, Dr. Alan Grant star Sam Neill shared how scared he and his co-stars Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum were about the oncoming storm when they learned about it. I do remember going out to the beach with Laura and Jeff. It looked like the end of the world was approaching. Laura turned to me and she said, Sam, do you think we might die today? And I said, you know what, Laura? We might just die today. There we go. Um, as the storm neared the island, the crew of Jurassic Park decided to take action and begin fortifying the ballroom of the hotel they were staying in by using props from the film. Goldblum was on hand to help. This is the bit that I love, right? It doesn't say it in here, but I've looked at other um, articles that tell me a little story, right? Goldblum was on hand to help with second ass second assistant director Michelle Pennelli Venetis saying that the actor was the man of the hour for the way in which he helped pack and bring in provisions for everyone, right? So apparently, this isn't in this article, but this is what I've, I've heard. Um, also, I just want to say, a good friend of mine, Adam, suggested that I cover um, this Jurassic Park in this episode. So basically, Steven Spielberg, right? He's obviously not panicking, but, you know, he's a director and everything, and he's got to get this all under control and make sure everyone's safe, etc., etc., right? And apparently, like, you know, the storm is approaching, it's getting really stormy and shit, and they're, they're bringing all the provisions inside, and he looks outside, right, his window, and he sees Jeff Goldblum taking charge, helping people, making sure everyone's all right, picking up the provisions and supplies, bringing them in, all whilst dressed with his iconic unbuttoned shirt the whole time you've just got a shredded jeff goldblum being lovely as jeff goldblum is just taking control of the situation and making sure everyone's all right as if he wasn't enough of a legend however i just saw like a link to an article on this article that explained why he has his shirt unbuttoned in this in the scenes and it's because he had a fever look don't, there don't ruin it <laughs> He's in some kind of fever. Don't ruin it. <laughs> He's just really ill. That's a big pile of shit. <laughs> God bless Jeff Goldblum. As the film's team were doing so, uh, Spielberg went out into the storm with director of photography Dean Kundi in order to film the storm in its early stages and the footage can be seen in the final cut of the film before it reaches its epic climax. And that iconic T-Rex scene. After the storm had passed, the crew and cast found themselves stuck on the island they could not leave there was no power or water and their provisions were started to run low but producer kathleen kennedy the woman who has single-handedly destroyed star wars was determined to do everything in her power to bring the cast and crew back to los angeles and that meant enlisting the help of an unlikely person fred sorensen was the article read that <laughs> how you just so casually slid that in there that was, was so great. good yeah. thank you Thank you. Uh, Fred Sorensen was a pilot on Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first Indiana Jones film. And at the time of the storm, he was flying for Hawaiian Airlines. Sorensen was planning on going to the island to bring supplies, and Kennedy happened to meet him before he did so. Kennedy asked for his help in returning the Jurassic Park team to Los Angeles, and he agreed, and the pair flew down to the island and successfully brought everyone back. 
When they returned, the cast and crew filmed the rest of the movie in a studio, and iconic scenes like the raptor chase in the kitchen were filmed during this period. So, yeah, so basically, a fucking Indiana Jones pilot ended up saving the day and flying them all out. There you go. So, um, there we go, yeah. So, that's, that's some yeah. cursed um, movie sets, some weird goings-on. Like you say, you like you you know said so well you know also some just straight up negligence which led to um the deaths of of people um but there are so many more that we haven't touched upon you know that that one that was mentioned which is very very interesting and and also quite a conspiracy theory was um brandon lee on the set of the crow which uh if we yeah. do a future episode we can certainly cover um but yeah what do you guys think so uh, of, of the um cursed movie sets what do you guys think do you think they're cursed yeah. That's when Beaks one is just awful. Yeah. That's horrible. I mean, That's... there was a a lot in there that were really convincing. Like... The sixty six point six miles away from yeah. Omen's town or whatever it was. Insane. Yeah. No, not from Omen. It was just from Omen, wasn't it? Like a yeah. town called Omen. Yeah, O M M E N. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I mean like you know, they're had... They probably are coincidences, realistically. They probably are just coincidences. But to get it down to a T like that is pretty fucking gnarly, isn't it? Like, yeah, that's disgusting. But also, she died in the same way that someone died in the movie, yeah. called He's... The Omen, 66.6 miles away from a town called Omen. Yeah. Like, it's, it's obviously, that, it's, that has been done... Yeah, that's been done intentionally. Like, there's a town called Omen, and this is 66.6 miles away, so we're going to put a sign up here. Yeah. But she died there. Yeah. Yeah. You know. While being part of the film. It's not. Yeah, it's nuts. Like, yeah. I don't know. Look, how, do you, how do you even, like, explain coincidences like that? Yes. Yeah. I think Freaky. That's, that's, quite a com that's quite a common practice, though, isn't it, with a lot of these cursed films? It's like they kind of follow, they follow their deaths that would have been in the film. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen. And like also, a final destination type thing. Yeah, yeah, and the other thing is, you don't, and I could be completely wrong, and maybe if we do another episode of this, I'll specifically try and find some. You never, like, there's never, I've never seen, like, a fucking rom com that's got a curse set. It's always paranormal, yeah. dark I guess shit. They're, they're doing things that <laughs> are, like, opening up those, like, portals. I don't. I can't think of a better word. I know like what you're in saying. the Exorcist movie, the only room that didn't burn down is the one where they did the exorcism or the fake exorcisms in. Yeah. But they are actually mimicking what you do in an exorcism. So, yeah. you yeah. know, it kind of adds a lot of weight. You know, like all these rules and stuff that we have to follow with Ouija boards, whether you believe in them or not, they're rules that we won't break. And these people are probably just like flippantly playing around with Ouija boards for hours and hours and hours on end to get these shots. They're probably yeah. breaking every rule in the book. Maybe I they mean, are opening things up. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you say we're not, we're you know, we're not going to break them. I'm so close to setting a Ouija board on fire. You have no idea. Up there. Yeah. I'll help you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll hold it. You 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 like the you like the lighter. I'll hold the board. That's it. I'll tell you that. what would be a cool imagery. Putting a little bit of lighter fluid on a planchette. Doing a sick. doing a Ouija board with a planchette that's on fire. Yeah, that would be really cool. You're holding that. Following it around with your fingers on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Stylus. But Put some jelly on your fingers. 
That's it. But yeah, it'd be cool. Probably some people in the comments. No. <laughs> me. You're just sick me of in them. the comments. They're just not <laughs> moving. Move. But I I think that there's possibly a correlation between the fact that we're we don't have a lot of like nervousness or scaredness anymore. So that we're not putting as much energy into the Ouija board as we were. I tell you, know, you we I'll kind tell you of what, this mm. is gonna be this is gonna be quite um it's gonna be a bit of a tangent, but it's kind of related with it. With when it comes to Ouija boards, I think there was on the the program that I watched yesterday, they done an experiment in the seventies where they partic- like they made up a a spirit, like they completely made it up, backstory, name, everything. So it's completely made up, and they done an, an experiment to see if they could communicate with their made up spirit, right? Right. As in, like they they tried Ouija boards and like table tipping, and they got results. Like they got results, you know, saying are we communicating with such and such and it goes to yes and things start happening and it's the it's the thought of it's the power of suggestion right because all of them swear blind that they were not moving the plant chair or moving the table around but because they're expecting something to happen all of them believe that they're saying it and you you know you believe them when they're saying i did not touch it and i didn't move it but they all probably contribute to moving it around because it's the power of suggestion. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's when it comes to Ouija boards, that's what I think it is. You're expecting it to move and you're wanting it to move. Mm. So it is the, the slight, small little movements. And as soon as it starts going, you're probably helping it along, but not knowing you're actually yeah. doing it. Do you yeah, know what I, mean? I totally, totally, totally get that. But I can assure you, I want it to fucking move. And in the yeah. maid's head, the, the reason is... I cut out the Ouija board is because it didn't move. Not yeah. even a millimeter. But when we first were doing Ouija boards, and when people do Ouija boards generally, there's such a like nervousness behind them that naturally you're a little bit like shaky. Mm, and yeah. when we were doing our first set of Ouija boards, I was a mess. Yeah, like, that's the true. One when we were the one in, in the like, asylum. I was yeah. honestly, and that was the most gnarly Ouija like, board. But I, it, I don't necessarily think that it's like. You know, it, it's either going to be the amount of energy that you're putting into that board because you're so scared that, yeah. you know, maybe it's allowing it to communicate more or something like that. I don't know. Or those microspasms are being influenced. Yeah. But the the one thing that I can say against it being microspasms is the Ouija board at the asylum. Mm. Neither me nor Jordan knew about the countdown rule. So there's no way that no, even I subconsciously did. I could... Oh, did yeah. you? Yeah. Because oh. I said I, I, I say but... to you in the video. Yeah, but the only oh, yeah. thing... I do want to do a reaction about... to that, by the way. The, mm. the Ouija board in the farmhouse when it lines up with the yeah. EMF. So yeah, that, that could kind weird. of add to the theory that of... Was fucking like, weird the energy like yeah. we don't have that yeah. nervous energy anymore also, and maybe that's why but also just that 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 Ouija board in the asylum the main issue I have with that Ouija board is that the Ouija board's moving around it started to count down and stuff blah 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 okay cool like that could have been us like micro tremors and not knowing it but one thing that is a fact that was completely out of our control is that we were in that building for an hour and a half and it was fucking dead silent and you could hear a pin drop. We yeah. do the Ouija board and as we're leaving, the fucking place came alive and it was disgusting yeah. and there was bangs and footsteps and creaks yeah. and all sorts of shit, you know, and it felt very, very uncomfortable. Um, yeah. 
I mean, but that's that's why we're doing these investigations. It's true. It is true. Yeah. A little bit more. It is true. That but. that's my thing with Ouija boards is whenever we've had activity, it's not just been like, oh yeah, it answered the questions. There's also been so much that adds weight to that, you know, those responses and those responses line up with other things that we're getting simultaneously or other things that we get at different points in the night. So like as much as it could definitely be put down to microspasms, I I'm less inclined to believe that because of like our experience with Ouija boards in the past and how inconsistent it is because sometimes we get it, sometimes we don't. Yeah. And if we were just very then it'd happen all the time. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Ouija boards, but regardless I'm, I'm of so whether, regardless of what I think about them or how much I believe in them, I am absolutely not comfortable with us setting one on fire or do it, you know, asking the like forbidden questions. I just Call I ain't involved in investigator that. More out. I ain't doing that. But like we did it, we did it at Haprica where we didn't, you know, we took our fingers off without saying goodbye, and nothing happened. Uh, question sure. mark. Yeah. If anything, Still the communication stopped after we did that. Yeah, I mean, because we were getting stuff on the Ouija board, then we did that, and then it just stopped. Because yeah, it left probably thought you were a <laughs> like, you know, mid-coming answer in your fucking leave me. Without saying goodbye, that's so savage. <laughs> but yeah, no. I'm... Ask it, ask it, no. Ask it how, you, how you'll die instead. I would rather mm. set fire to it than ask it how I'm going to die. No. What's the worst yes. that's happening? You're burning the portal. So you're burning the the source of them coming through. Let's have a look. It's not a fucking issue. It's like the um, like Ouija board is like the bottom of the barrel in terms of investigative equipment. Yeah, yeah. Just, everything uh, is left yeah. to imagination. Yeah, personally for me, like when you when you strip it down to bare bones, it is just a little bit of wood with layers on it and a little planchette, right? Yeah. And there's so many variables that go into it to get results from it. Yeah. You know? Like you watch Paranormal Activity. Like I wish Ouija boards were like Paranormal Activity. You know when they yeah. just leave the board and they go out and then the planchette starts fucking moving and shit. Yeah. And then what happens? It sets fire to itself. But yeah, um, it does do that. Yeah. I've read. I've read an article. Right. What happens if you set fire to a Ouija board? Burning a Ouija board. So it says. Do the it. truth is that you should never, ever, ever burn a Ouija board under any circumstances, as not only is it a huge mistake that most mediums and paranormal experts strongly advise against, but it is also one of the worst things you could possibly do. Oh. I am in no way a superstitious or gullible person, and instead am being dead serious with everything that I say, as it will always lead to incredibly disastrous consequences. Um, burning Ouija boards has been proven to release all of the negative energy that has been contained within the board. Some people have had their houses burnt down after doing so, or probably died. because they were playing with fire, setting the Ouija board alight. <laughs> personally, I've got one word, uh, one problem with one word in there, and it's proven. So, uh, I just yeah. read out our own Google document. That's yeah, it. you just typed that out quickly just now. Have I read it post? <laughs> So if that's if that's if that's proven practice, then the paranormal world is completely legit. Then and and there's no point in us investigating because it's real. Maybe everyone that has ever burnt down a burnt a Ouija board has had negative consequences because that would be proven. 
Yeah, but who's to say they wouldn't get the negative consequences if you just didn't burn it either? Like, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. like, is there something... Are people trapped in the fucking Ouija board? Is that the, the theory? Like, when you burn it, you release all of them re... Like, I guess it... Anyway. I guess, like, in theory, it would break down, like, the communication barrier that you supposedly open and close when you're communicating with spirits through a Ouija board. So possibly anything that you've ever communicated with through said Ouija board would then be released. Henry, come on through. Fred, Henry, come on Fred's... through. Think of all the think of all the like gnarly fucking spirits we'd be letting out if we set fire to that Ouija board. You know that scene so, in uh, what is it? Ghostbusters two. Yeah. <laughs> Where Oh, we didn't have that Ouija board in the RAM, did we? That's a shame. What? We didn't have this Ouija board in the RAM. No. Oh, we didn't use it at 30 East Drive either, because we weren't allowed. We weren't allowed. Oof. Which blows my mind. Oh, yeah. The fact that they don't... I think it's a tactical thing, to be honest. Great market. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, when it comes it's a to Ouija boards, thing. just setting them on fire and letting all the things out, does that mean just every Ouija board is just cursed with loads of spirits then, or have you got to use it and build them up? Must be. Don't I know. guess... I don't know. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm kind of thinking if we ever bow out of this paranormal stuff, I think we go out fucking swinging, and I think we just fucking burn down a Ouija board factory. But the thing is, like, <laughs> hey, what, you, you should just. Proof? Yeah, you I'm about to release like... everything. It's proven practice. Yeah, it'd be silly saying. to do that as you're on your way out because chances are, like, if it's all true, then it would become more active and you'd have more stuff to film well you put an idea with his mind now convincing him to do it more now Maya you're not yeah. doing a very good job oh well no I would I would be I would be open to it I would I be try. open to it I try um, to talk about these things and then a fucking haunted doll turns up in the house and I can't do anything about it, so. it. and then Dibbuck boxes yeah I'm making a Dibbuck box this week so. yeah it's all going on it's all going on but um, yeah okay well, that was a bit of a tangent from cursed um, movie sets, but still, it was in the realms of paranormal, so I'm happy. Um, but yeah, I think we'll leave it there. Um, but thank you guys for joining me. Thank you everyone for listening and watching. I hope you enjoyed, guys. Just so you're aware. I mean, however you view or listen to this podcast, happy days. But for the viewers out there, um, we are everywhere now. We're we are on Spotify. We're on Amazon. We're on uh apple pods wrong youtube music apparently i got an email yes. this week yeah we're now on youtube music um but yeah anywhere ask your alexa drip paranormal podcast it'll come up so yeah we're everywhere so if you ever want to listen to us out and about please do because it helps um leave us a nice review and uh if you're watching comment down below if, again if you want to support the podcast where there's going to be exclusive podcast episodes and also lots of behind the scenes and early access content anyway like i'm pretty sure there's like i think it's now 350 posts or something on my patreon which are videos and stuff so that you get all of that instantaneously so that is just a pound or a dollar a month or you can pledge more if you so please but that's entirely up to you yeah thank you subscribe like Share the podcast. Share it with a friend. Share the pod with a friend right now. That's your homework. N now. <laughs> Share it. Thank you so much. Okay. 
We shall see you guys later. Still haven't got an outro, so we're working on it. See Bye. ya!